So good to see all your smiling faces. How many can say that the joy of the Lord is your strength tonight? Amen. And uh, I want to just talk to you guys, on, on, and I honestly didn't know what I was going to speak on, but I want to talk to you on this. Good medicine. Everyone say good medicine. All right. And uh, there's this uh, doctor, Dr. Norman Cousins. Anybody ever heard that name before in here? Oh, good. Um, and he's the author of Norman Cousins' Anatomy of an Illness. Anybody read that book? Did you Have you read that book? I don't know if you read that book. But he was a longtime editor of the Saturday Review. He was a global peacemaker, a receiver of hundreds of awards, including the UN Peace Medal and nearly 50 honorary doctorate degrees. He's a pretty smart guy. And um, in 1964, following a very stressful trip to Russia, he was diagnosed, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce this, uh, with a degenerative disease causing uh, the breakdown of collagen in, in his body, and which left him almost uh, in constant pain and, and motivated his doctor to say he could die within just a few months. Um, he disagreed. And reasoned that if stress had somehow contributed to his illness, um, and, you know, his wife, they had kind of come to the conclusion that this trip to Russia, this was, <laughs> I don't know who's, t uh, this trip to Russia caused um, issues with him and that had, had made his stress elevate, then positive emotion could help heal him better. So with his doctor's consent, he checked himself out of the hospital and, and went uh, to a hotel room across the street and began taking extremely high doses of vitamin C while exposing himself to continuous streams of humorous films like the Marx Brothers, the Three Stooges, and cartoons. Interesting, huh? And, uh, and basically what he found out, he, he would later claim this, that 10 minutes of belly rippling laughter would give him two hours of pain-free sleep. Interesting, right? With nothing else, not even morphine could help him. So his condition steadily improved, and he slowly regained the use of his limbs. And with six months, he was back on his feet. And within two years, he was able to return to his full-time job. And scientists were baffled by this. And that this is interesting, and, and people in the medical were baffled by this. But look at this. If you go to Proverbs 17:22, Solomon would, would say this back 3,000 years earlier, basically, and he, he would say this right here, a joyful heart is what? Is what? Uh, but a crushed spirit dries up bones. I ask you guys, how many know that your strength comes from the Lord? The joy of the Lord is, is your strength, and so... Uh, I want to talk to you just a little bit about good medicine and having a joyful heart tonight. And so, um, and you've heard me say this when I've talked about happiness and joy. Happiness is based on external forces, right? But joy is based on internal character. There's a difference in those two things. Happiness depends on what happens to us, while joy depends on who lives in us. Did you hear what I said? Happiness happens while what happens to us, but joy depends on who lives in us. And happiness is temporary and fickled, but joy is permanent and settled. There's a major difference in those two things. And uh, happiness is based on chance, but joy is based on 
choice. I, I like that. And the Bible says a lot about joy. Um, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Nehemiah 8.10. I like that. And Paul would say it like this. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and what? Joy in the Holy Ghost. Romans 14.17. So we ought to be operating in, in joy as believers. How many could say, hey, I have the joy of the Lord operating in me. I love to be around people who operate in the joy of the Lord. Put me around people who are happy and who are glad to be alive, who aren't always complaining, who aren't always murmuring. You know, how many know that you need a good friend like that? We all need a good friend like that. Or you need to be somebody's friend like that and see the good in, in situations. I uh, can think of, uh, you know, a couple few people that I that I always see that always seem like they're in a good mood. Uh, you know, uh, I'll, I'll call her out. She's not here tonight, but Katie Matthews. She is always bubbly, happy, in a good mood. And during VBS, she she was not feeling well. She had a headache, and 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 I said, "Are you okay?" And she said, "Yeah, I'm fine." And just went right on and didn't let let it bother her one bit or one one iota. And so I want to just talk about you know what it takes to surround yourself with joy, to have the joy of the Lord in you, um, in this time. How many know that in this world, there's a lot of things that are kill joy. I mean, you can turn on the news and, and just get depressed really fast. Or you can, uh, you know, uh, look at a lot of things in this world and just get super, super discouraged. But how many know that my joy is not based on what happens in the world, but my joy is based on my relationship with Jesus Christ and who he is. Amen. So the Bible says a lot uh, to be joyful in at least, and I'm, I'll talk about this in a lot of areas, but we're going to talk about seven areas, okay, in our, in our life, and so if you're a note taker, you can write these down. If you're not a note taker, I want to encourage you, write notes down because, you know, it, it's amazing what you can come back and what you can glean from. So here's, here's number one. Uh, the Bible says to be joyful to, to the joy of your salvation. The joy of your salvation. How many remember the day you got saved? I remember the day I got saved. It felt like the grass was greener, sky was bluer, people were nicer, and I just felt like this weight had been lifted off of me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? In Psalm 51:12, it says, and, and David had just um, been through this circumstance with Bathsheba, and and Nathan came, the prophet Nathan came and called him out for his sin, and there he is, and he is just he's beside himself. And he says this in Psalm 51, 12, he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your willing spirit. So he's praying and he's asking God, hey, restore me. And I think David knew a thing or two about joy. This was the guy who got excited when, when the Ark of the Covenant came back into Jerusalem. You remember that? He got so excited, he danced there in front of everybody, and he got down with the commoners and just danced and danced and danced till his kingly robe came off. And, you know, he was just out there. He was excited. He knew a thing or two about joy, but he had sin. And here's what I know about sin. Sin will weigh you down spiritually, mentally, and physically. The wages of sin is death in all those areas. It will weigh you down. So here, David, he's asking God, hey, 
bring back the joy of your salvation in my life. And, and how many remember the day that you got saved? I asked that question just a minute ago. How many remember that day? And how many remember what the way that you felt when you got up from the altar and joy and you were just happy and you couldn't be mad at anybody because God had done such a great work in you? I love that. So being saved by grace, we should we should should bring to us the greatest joy to us because it is joy of our salvation. Because God loved you enough to save you from a burning, dying hell. I don't know about you, but man, I, I, I get great joy when I think about that. Here's number two right here. Joyful in our serving. Joyful in our serving. Philippians 2.14. Um, are, are you having trouble back there? Yeah, we're working on it. We're working on it. We're, it's okay. It, it says this in Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling and disputing. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Um, I was talking to uh, Peyton Olson earlier, and we were going, uh, this scripture came up. And, and while she was there, and I said, Peyton, I said, when your mom asks you to clean your room, you know what the Bible says. It says you are to do all things without grumbling and disputing. And she went, and only a way that Peyton could. Uh, that, that is such a great verse for us to live by. How many love serving the Lord? I love to serve the Lord. You know, it is my greatest pleasure to serve the Lord and to live for him um, and, and to fulfill my call for God uh, on my life. And listen, it's not always easy. And sometimes as a pastor, sometimes I want to grumble and sometimes I want to dispute and sometimes I want to get upset and I want to get mad. But then the Lord just simply reminds me of this verse written in Philippians do all things without grumbling or disputing. I say this to my boys all the time. Um, <laughs> Novak and Wyatt, they're a big age gap in the two, but, man, they fight like it's like oil and water. You put them two together, and Novak's not backing down, even though he's half the size of, of Wyatt, and Wyatt's strong will. And, and there they are, oil and water, and they were arguing the other day, and I came in, and I, I sat them both down. I said, listen, this is what the Bible says. Blessed are the peacemakers. And they both sit there, and I, and I looked at Novak, and I said, are you making peace? And he's like, and I looked at Wyatt, and are you making peace? And then, so I told them that, and I thought, oh, man, this is a great lesson. So then I hear them arguing in the, the room the other day, and I hear Novak go, Wyatt, you're not being a peacemaker right now, buddy. And I don't think that was the angle that I was uh, that I meant for him to be using that for, or what the Lord meant for us. But uh, in our hearts, we ought to be making peace. We ought to serve the Lord with with the best, our best intention. This is what I've learned as a pastor. Um, sheep like to bite, right? If you raise sheep, or you raise animals, or you raise goats, you know goats. I don't like goats because they're so unpredictable. They look at you with the weird look, and you know. It's just about to just come headbutt me right now. I know that that goat, if I turn, it's going to hit me and it's going to, you know. But here's the thing about, about sheep is sheep oftentimes, they'll bite each other and, and they'll cause harm or they'll try to bite a shepherd or they'll do those things. And, and, and oftentimes, you know, 
as a, as a pastor, sometimes you can get distracted by those moments. But here's what I know. The good shepherd in heaven reminds us, hey, it's going to be all right. And I like Paul's perspective here because he's writing this joyful verse right out of prison. He's in prison. He's writing this verse. I think that's amazing to me. And, um, and God reminds me why I serve. I love the good shepherd. He always reminds me when, when things get rough, why are you serving? And it's a good reminder to me. Another thing, when I'm uh, busy serving, here's another thing. When I'm busy doing the things for the Lord, I don't have time to complain or bite other sheep. <laughs> right? And, when, man, so that would help a lot of us out. And some people are professional complainers. I want to look at your neighbor and say, who's talking to you? Some people are professional claimers. Some of your wives are looking at your husbands right now. And some of your husbands are looking at your wives right now. But here's the thing, the, the Lord flips the script for the, uh, on my heart, and he says, hey, my joy is not a burden. You know, it's not a burden. It, 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 a burden to serve him. It's not, it's not a burden to serve the Lord. It is a joy to serve the Lord. Amen? All right. Jesus said, my yoke is what? Easy, and my burden is? Man, he does the heavy lifting. Then I serve, and I see lives changed and transformed, and in the middle of the sheep pen, sometimes I see somebody's life transformed, and I'm like, man, God, you are so good. Thank you for your goodness and, and grace. Here's the next one, joyful in giving. Joyful in giving, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it, it says this. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So Paul, just to give you a little context of what's happening here, he's taking an offering. He's about to go to Corinth, and he's taking up an offering there, uh, and, and over a period of time before he gets there, and they're going to send this offering to the Jerusalem church, and he's addressing it before he gets there, because when he gets there, he wants to talk about things that they need to talk about, and not just this thing about uh, this offering. And so uh, there he is saying this, and he's giving them advice, and he's telling them what they need to do. So uh, the part of this verse I want to focus on is God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. Uh, you know, it doesn't say not one who's forced to give. I remember one time I went to a, a rotary meeting, I think it was, with a friend of mine who was a business owner. He said, hey, I want to invite you to this rotary meeting. And, man, and I felt like all they did was nickel and dime me. You know, we give for this and this and this. And I was just like, I couldn't believe it. And if you're in the Rotary, I'm sorry, I'm not picking on you. It wasn't here. It was another town um, or anything. And, and, and I was just amazed. And they were just, whether you wanted to give or didn't want to give, they expected you to give. But that's not the way that the Lord works. Again, God is, uh, the thing about it is God is after your heart, not your money. God is in pursuit after your heart. And I just did a whole series on, on, on the whole thing about putting money in front of the Lord. That's an idol. God's after your heart, not your money. Um, and cheerful here means this, hilarious. So if you were to put that, translate that, God loves a hilarious giver. That means somebody who's merry. If you can think of somebody, M-E-R-R-Y, Santa, ho, 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 right? He's merry. He's happy, right? Um, you know, he's, he's excited to be there. Someone that has a smile on their face because they want to give to God because it's their heart. They want to give. And that doesn't just mean financially. You know what? You can give in your time. 
you could you could give in your service, you can give in your money. But here's the thing, this is what it, if you give, you need to give hilariously, cheerfully. Lord, this is for you. I'm I'm excited about it. Here's the next one, joyful in worship. Everyone say worship. Psalm 66 1 and 2 says, shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing glory to his name. Give to him glorious praise. Um, there are times, there are times where we need to be stoic in worship, where we need to be still. There are moments. There are those moments. But listen, there are also moments where we need to be Give joy and be boisterous and shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Right? I know that one's not as easy. Here's the thing. If I were to take you guys to your favorite baseball team or your favorite football team or your favorite concert, some of you would scream and holler and get excited when they sang your favorite song or they scored a goal or they hit a home run and you'd get up and down and clap. And then you come in here on Sunday, the God of the universe who saved your soul, and you'll give him your nice stoic praise. There's a time and there's a place, but I, I love this. It says, shout for joy to God. That's hard for us. Well, what, what will someone think of me? Who cares? The God of the universe deserves his praise. I'm not worried about who, who I may impress or not impress. Um, and if Jesus is the joy of your salvation, man, he ought to be the joy of your worship. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for doing what you did for me. I, I don't deserve this. And let me ask you this. Does, does worshiping, uh, uh, when you worship the Lord and when you reflect on the Lord, does that put a smile on your face? It ought to. When you begin to think about the goodness of God and his mercy and his grace. When I was, when I was young, when I, me and Tristan, when we were dating, and I remember when people would talk about Tristan and she wasn't around, I would go, She's not here tonight, so I can pick on her a little bit. And I would get excited because I had a crush on her. I liked her. Don't tell her this. She'll get a big head. I wanted to be with her. And when someone began to talk, and that's the way we should be about the Lord. You're talking about Jesus? Oh, yeah. Let me tell you about him. He's been good to me. He deserves my praise. <laughs> Uh, you know, I loved it on, on Sunday when I think about the Lord, what he's done for me, how he saved me, how he raised me, how he filled me with the Holy Ghost, how he healed me to the uttermost. I love that. So so joyful in our worship. Here's number uh, number five here. Joyful in our witness. Everyone say joyful in our witness. Psalms 126, 5 and 6 says that this, those who sow in tears shall reap with what? Oh, there's shouts of joy again. Um, he who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with what? Oh, there it, there it is again. Bringing his sheaves with him. So um, I'm going to ask a pretty pointed question here, and I, don't, I wouldn't normally do this on a Wednesday night. When's the last time you wept over the lost? That's a, I, I know that's super pointed on a Wednesday night. When's the last time you, you thought you generally just cried because there are lost and dying people that need to know Jesus? 
maybe it was a friend, maybe it's a, a family member, maybe it's a co-worker, and you just say, God, we need to know who you are. Um, there's a story of a, of a young pastor who graduated uh, magna, magna cum laude from the top-ranked seminary, and he stepped into his first church service, proudly heading to the pulpit with great confidence, and he went to open his mouth, and his mind went blank. And listen, if you've ever spoke in public speaking, Man, sometimes that just happens, and you're just going, oh, where in the world was that thought process happening? And he had that moment, and his mind went blank, and he stumbled on a few words, and then he got nervous, and he stuffed his notes in his Bible, and he walked uh, with his head in his hands, and he walked away with his head in his hands, and he was crying. And the old precious saint said this, if he had come in like he left, he would have left like he came in. There's something about humility when we, when we come before the Lord. And Jesus said this. He said this in the parable. We'll sow. We'll sow seed. And as, as a pastor, do you get discouraged when people don't come to know Christ? Well, sometimes I, I feel like I do. But, but the parable of the sower tells me that there are four types of soil. And sometimes it'll stick and sometimes it won't. It's the condition of the soil that matters. My job as the sower is just to throw the seed as generously as I can and say, hey, here's the message of Jesus Christ. And if it sticks in their heart, that's the Lord's work to do or, or to not do that, that thing. And so, and Jesus, when he talks of that, he says, when we sow in tears, we'll reap with shouts of joy. One of the greatest things as a minister of the gospel is when someone comes to know Christ and you've been sowing into their life. It's amazing. It's, it's great to walk side by side. I, uh, it's, it's a great joy to lead someone to Christ. Matter of fact, I have a pastor friend in Missouri. He's older than me, um, much older than me, uh, and uh, he's my dad's age. And matter of fact, every time I see him, he reminds me, hey, young man, I got saved because your grandpa led me to Christ. And he reminds me every time I see him and what great joy there is in that. So here's here's. Number six, joyful in our trials. Oh, you had me on all of them except that one, TJ. Joyful in our trials. James uh, chapter 1, verse 2 says this. Count it all, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I don't know about you. I don't get excited about trials. I don't count it as joy sometimes. Um, verse 3 says, for you know that the testing of your faith, what produces what? Steadfastness. And let your steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So to be joyful in trials, we have to determine in our minds where our joy comes from. Here's the thing, because when I look at a trial, when a trial is going on, if I let that trial determine my joy, guess what? It's going to get misdirected because sometimes it's like what I talked about Sunday. It's like, it's like Peter and Jesus. When Peter took his eyes off Jesus and put them on the waves, he got distracted. And it's so easy to, to be distracted by the waves. Uh, we lose our joy in trials because um, we equivalent it to what's going on on the outside of us. But listen, it's based on the inside of us. Our joy is based on a person, the person of Jesus Christ living in us. I love that. In this trial, um, you know, we should ask this in ourselves. Is this trial teaching me something and producing in me what it takes to be steadfast? Because that's what James is telling us here. He said, hey, if this trial 
it should be working within you. It should be making you steadfast. It should be helping you along your way. And once you're steadfast, the full effect of that is you'll be complete and you'll be lacking in nothing, including joy. That's great. I remember growing up, um, we were painting a house. My dad was doing a summer job. And he had my brother, who was a much better painter than me, and he invited me along. And he said, I'll pay you to help us paint this house. It was an old Victorian house, like a three-story house. I don't know why my dad did this. This is crazy. He's a pretty good painter. And, but we were up in this house, and my dad had me. I was probably 13 years old. Up in, in the top of this house, there was a, like a, like a, like a uh, I don't know what you would call it, a room with a, uh, like 32 windows around it. It just like popped up. And I was up there painting. And my dad put me up there where it was safe, where I wouldn't fall and I wouldn't hurt myself and where they would really wouldn't see how bad of a painter I really was. And so he had me up there, and there I was. I had a gallon of paint, and I'm painting away. I'm doing window sills, and there was a guttering system up there where the two parts of the house came together. And guess what I did? I spilled a whole gallon of paint down the gutter. And I remember thinking... I just take my time up here for the next three hours. My dad won't know that I messed up. And I was like, no, I got to tell him. So I, I remember I going, uh, going downstairs, and this guy who owned this house, his name was Howard. Uh, I don't even know his last name, Howard. We called him Howard the Duck, me and my brother. That's what we called him, Howard the Duck. And he was a nice guy, really nice guy. And I remember I went to my dad, and I was like, Dad, I just spilt this gallon of paint and uh, up here in the gutter. And he was just like, oh, man, son, Really? You know, and he was just, and I was like, I know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do it, and all this stuff. And so, you know, I'm down there, and my dad goes, and he goes to Howard. He says, Howard, I got to tell you, my son, who's helping today, probably won't be here tomorrow, is helping today. That was my way to get out from going the next day. Um, but anyways, and, 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 and he said, my son, who's helping, he spilled a whole gallon of paint up there, and it went down the gutter. And I loved Howard's response. He goes, my gutter's sealed now. And I looked at my dad, and I was like, <laughs> joyful in the trials. What seems like an impossible or terrible situation, listen, is, is all in our outlook. It's all in our outlook. Um, man, this one's not easy. But listen, if we ever get it, uh, we will not be shaken by situations or life struggles. Here's, here's the next one. Joyful in our attitude. Everyone poke your neighbor say joyful in our attitude <laughs> first thessalonians chapter five says go ahead read it when it rains when it's hot when you lose your job when inflation's skyrocketing when everything's falling apart when it's all good rejoice always you know what rejoice means Joy, joy again. Joy, joy again. Always. Rejoice always. Um, the next part of this says, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. One of the wills uh, of God for you is that you rejoice when? Always. We should always have joy. I don't know about you. The world's frustrating. The world is frustrating at times, but my, my joy is in the Lord and not in this world. 
I like that. So I can I can walk with a joyful attitude, and I can love on, on people, and, and I just love people who are genuinely joyful. I want to be around people like that. Um, I, one of my, my pastors that I served under in Texas, probably one of the happiest guys I've ever seen in my life. Um, he's older. He doesn't get around as good as he used to, but that guy always has a smile, always has a joke, always has something positive, something good to give to you. Matter of fact, he is one of the few guys that I know when he calls me that he is one of two things. He's calling to, to tell me something serious or he's calling to tell me a joke. That's it. And he will call me and he'll say, hey, and he'll tell me a joke and he'll laugh and then he'll hang up the phone. I want people like that in my life. I need people like that in my life. And, and I love that. And my dad's the same way. He'll call me. One time my dad came to school when I was in high school, pulled me out of class, walked outside with me, and I was like, what's going on? And he said, I heard these three jokes I wanted to tell you. I don't remember the jokes, but I remember thinking, I'm out of school. I'm pretty happy right now. I'm good with this. Lord, teach us to rejoice in all circumstances. So what does it take to be joyful? All right, so I'm going to give you some, some things. What does it take to be joyful? Here's five things. I think it's five. I can't remember. Five, four off the top of my head here. Uh, number one, cultivate your relationship with God. Cultivate your relationship with God. Um, if you don't talk to God, you'll not know who God is. If you don't read his word, you'll not know the character of God. Uh, cultivate your relationship with God. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. So here's the first, you know, it's spend time with him. I wouldn't have much of a relationship with my wife if I didn't spend time with my wife. And it's important. And what I've learned in my marriage is what I put into my marriage is what I will get out of my marriage. And what my wife puts into our marriage is what we'll get out. And if we're working together on the same team, we can have uh, great things. But we have to spend time with the Lord. So how do we do that? Number one, prayer. Prayer. Simple. Simple, right? Pray. Uh, how's the old song go? Read your Bible. Pray every day. And you'll. Man, there's some old people in here. Right? And you'll grow, grow, grow. It goes like that. And then it says, uh, uh, you know, neglect your Bible, forget to pray, and you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. Yeah, some of you went to the same Sunday school I did when growing, growing up. But prayer, spending time with the Lord. So, uh, um, and, under, and, and just, you know, I don't want to over, overthink prayer. Uh, it's important. It is very important that you have a prayer life. Your prayer life should not be over your food and here on Sunday morning. It ought to be personal with the Lord at home, in the morning, in the evening, in the car. When I'm by myself, I love to talk to the Lord. I look crazy, but now they have phones in the car, so I don't look as crazy as I used to. But I love to pray, I love to, pray to the Lord. Here's the second one, word, the word of God. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you guys uh, a high five way to get the word in your life. You ready for this? This is simple, real simple right here. Um, your thumb is this. Your thumb is this. Hearing 
the word, hearing the word. It's important that you hear the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So that's important. How do we hear the word of God? You're hearing it right now. You hear it on Sunday. You hear it on Wednesday. You hear it on a podcast. You, you hear things. So number one is hearing the word of God. Here's number two right here. Reading the word of God. Reading the word of God. There's a difference in hearing the word of God and reading the word of God. Matter of fact, it's important. I, I like to do this. When I read the word of God, I like to read it out loud because then I'm also hearing it. Oh, that's, that's something to shout me down on that one, all right? Reading the word of God. Here's, here's, here's number three, the middle finger. Are you ready for this? Is this, studying the word of God. What's the difference in reading and studying? Well, I'm glad you asked because it's important. Pulling out a piece of paper and a pencil. And not only are you just reading it, not only are you just hearing it, but you're actually writing down. Lord, this is what I feel like you're speaking to me through this. Lord, this is what I, I feel like your word is, is, is telling me. Here's number three, or number, uh, the fourth finger, the ring finger. Memorize the word of God. Everyone say memorize. Say, I'm old. I can't remember anything. Well, I'm in that same, same book sometimes. But this is what I learned. And I learned this from a pastor a long, long time ago. And he could just quote scripture left and right and left and right. And I was like, man, that is amazing how you can do that. And I'm like, how do you do that? And he said, you know what I do? He said, I take a verse and I write it down on a three by five little card. And I carry that card for a week or two until I have that verse memorized. And I pull it out and I just keep reading it, keep reading it until I learn it. Memorize the word of God. Number, number five right here, uh, meditating or chewing on the word of, or word of God. That word meditating is not um, getting down in a position, you know. No, it's meditating. It, is, it literally means this, to chew the cud, to chew the cud, like a cow chews the cud, <laughs> like it's getting every bit of nutrient out of the word of God. It's not, you know, to meditate on the word of God. Sometimes I just meditate on the word of God. I, I think about what I'm reading, and I, I begin to just say that word over and over. And I say, God, what are you speaking to me? So, and here's the, here's the last one is this, the palm, the palm. So we got all five, right? The palm is this, application. How do I apply it? How do you apply the word of God in your life? See, we might be good at reading the word of God, but is it application in your life? Some of us know the word of God, but some of us don't have it applying in our life. So application. And listen, this is what I what I found out. When you do all those things, your whole hand like that, guess what? You get a hold of the word of God. You have it. It's, it's something that's powerful, a way to hold on to the Word of God. So read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll what? Grow, grow, grow. I, I like that. Um, if you neglect your source of joy, it stands to reveal that you will feel your joy is in low supply. So, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray to you. Lord, I'm going to read your Word. I'm going to find out what you say. Here's another one, cultivating a forgiving spirit. Oh, man, here's a good way to bring joy. Ephesians 4.32 says this. You ought to write this one down for all your kids, too. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I'm good with God forgiving me, but sometimes I struggle with me forgiving others. Am I the only one? And I love this verse, but, man, I just feel like this verse gets a little bit more intense. It's like a setup. It's like, and it gets a little bit more, more potent per every statement. Be kind, 
then not only be kind, but then be tenderhearted. That means you, you need to be a little soft-hearted towards someone. And then the next one is like, forgive them. <sighs> forgive one another? Lord, you want me to do that? Yeah, forgive them because I forgave you. Gets a little bit stronger and stronger. And I know there's been a lot of people who have been hurt. Maybe you've been hurt by your family member. Maybe you've been hurt by, by a church leader. Maybe you've been hurt by a friend. Maybe you've been hurt, fill in the blank, whatever, whatever the case. Um, it doesn't matter. But this is what, what does matter. Is to forgive is not to excuse someone's behavior. It's not saying I dismiss what you did. It just means that, hey, uh, I am. I am not going to let that hold me. I'm not going to let that grudge set me back anymore because I'm going to let that go. I forgive because I'm reminded when I look at another's offense, and that's mine towards Christ. Christ forgave me. I love that, and it's just it's a beautiful picture. Uh, uh, Jesus cried on the cross. You remember, Father, what? Forgive them for they. What a beautiful picture of forgiveness. I know if it would have been us on the cross, we would have probably been like calling down fire. Lord, wipe them out right now. But no, he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he forgave your offense and my offense suspended between heaven and earth that day. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus didn't know no sin. He became uh, that so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I love it when someone forgives me of a debt or they forgive me of something, an offense. And I'm like, thank you for, for your grace and mercy on that. I need that in my life. I need that everywhere I go. I make mistakes all the time. I let people down all the time. Can I, I need that in my life. If you need somebody that you can forgive all the time, forgive pastor all the time. All right? I'm not perfect. I'm not even close to perfect. But I do know this. Jesus, who was perfect, he bore our sins on the cross and said, hey, I have forgiven you. He paid it all. He paid it all. And, and, and what a great joy that brings uh, to us. Our debt is canceled. It's all because of Jesus. Um, forgiveness is not a burden God places on us, but it's rather a safeguard for our, our, our mental health and our emotional stability. Hey, I'm not going to let that hold over. Some people hang on to things over and over and over, and it becomes a killjoy rather than saying, hey, God, since you forgave me, I'm going to let that go. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And Jesus is a perfect example of forgiveness. And so let, here's the next one. Cultivate a focus on things above. Cultivate a focus on things above. Not the rafters. Colossians 3, 1, 3 says this. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are where? Where Christ is. Where's Christ? Seated at the right hand of God. So look at this, verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Number 3, uh, verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Um, a lot of our life is, is spent looking under the clouds rather than above the clouds. 
He said, what do you mean by that? We have an earthly perspective way too much more than we do a heavenly perspective. And I mean, God has just really been working this in my life over the last year or so. And, and Paul here, he's reminding us whether our life is 40 years, 60 years, 80 years, 100 years, and I pray that I'm 100 years old when I die. Maybe not. I don't know. I pray that I go up in the rapture, really. But, but, but it is a blip. Our life is a blip compared to eternity. It's very, very small. But here's the thing. Our perspective is here on earth. And so oftentimes we focus on the things here on earth and not what is to come, not the long-range thing. And here's what I know. The world, it fights for your attention every day. Every day the world is fighting for your attention. If your phone beeps, what do you do? What's going on? What email do I have? Or, better yet, what happens when you're at home? You, your TV, your computers, you're driving down the road, a billboard, fighting for your attention every day. Lots of things pull your focus here. But listen, everything in this world is temporal. All pass away is what Scripture says, and it's, and it's tough to go through trials when you compare them uh, to eternity, and they seem really small. Man, this seems really hard to me, but in the grand scheme of things, it's pretty small compared to eternity. A test, uh, if, you're in, if you were in school, I, I, you know, a test in a course, you're trying to get a college degree, a bachelor's degree, one test depending on what class it is, if you struggle with that class, can seem like a very difficult thing. But on graduation day, when you walk across and you get your diploma, that little test, you're not really thinking about that test anymore. You're thinking about the big picture. And I think God wants us to give, give our eyes, our full attention on him. There's this old song. I love this song. And it simply goes, turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full into his wonderful face, and the things of earth, what, will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And that song is spot on for the believer. Listen, in this world where everything's fighting for your attention, keep your eyes fastened on Jesus and the things to come, and keeping your focus on heavenly things, long-range things that, that give you joy. Proverbs 15, 15, this uh, it says this, all the, days of, uh, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. How many love to eat? One of the things I can tell you that brings me great joy is eating. Yeah, you guys aren't amening, but a lot of you are, yeah. It's is great, you know, and I don't, I don't know about you, but as a, as a believer spiritually, I am feasting every day. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You're putting a smile on my face. You're helping me. You know what Paul's secret weapon was that kept him full of joy? Um, it was his focus on Jesus in heaven. Hey, it was the big picture. Listen, kill me if you need to. Guess what? To die is to gain. Well, we can't do that. Well, well then we'll throw him in prison. Well, that's okay. I'll just preach to these prison people here and these guards, and I'll just win them to Christ, and I'll just flip the man. They couldn't get a hold of Paul. He was like an eel trying to grab an eel. They didn't know what to do with him. Hey, he was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was in prison. But listen, he would eventually be beheaded. But the, here's the thing. He kept his eyes focused on the joy that would come when he saw Jesus face to face again. 
think of eternity not just today. Think of heaven, not just everything. So perspective is everything. Here's, here's another one. Cultivate a load-lifting lifestyle. A load-lifting lifestyle. Galatians 6.2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. There's a sweet Swedish proverb that says this. I want you to listen to this. this. I love this. A joy shared is doubled, but a burden shared is halved. Think about that for a moment. A joy shared is doubled, but a burden shared is halved. It's kind of like if, if, if I was to get some exciting news and I was to come up here to Randy and say, I got this good news. And he's like, oh, that's great, Pastor. And we're both doubling in joy up here. We're excited. And then, but then there's another moment where I come up to him and I'm like, Randy, man, I am really struggling right now. And he's like, Pastor, I got your back. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to, and guess what? That burden begins to be lightened. I love that. Instead of carrying the load of life on my shoulders, and uh, God designed it for us where we could help each other out. And here's what I know. Instead of just me carrying a burden in my life, I know there are people in this church that I can lean on. And I can call and say, hey, Mike, will you pray for me today? I am struggling. Jeff, will you pray? Sula, will you pray for me today? Because I am just struggling. And, and you know what? Most people, if you ask them to pray for you, they're going to pray for you. And I love that about our church. We're, we're, like, we're like a family. And listen, God didn't intend for you to carry everything all by yourself. Matter of fact, God does the heavy lifting anyways. But here's the thing, man. We can lean on each other as brothers and sisters. I remember one time in my life, I was working in California, and I was just overwhelmed uh, at the job I was at. I was just stressed. There was a lot going on. Um, I was just in my mind, not in a good headspace. Anybody ever been there? And I was just struggling. And I remember just being very, uh, not depressed, but just down. And I remember my friend called me. He said, hey, I w we want you guys to come over. And I went over to their house, and I was not feeling it, you know. Anybody know that sometimes you just go because you're going? And I was not feeling it. And after being there for a little bit, he began to encourage me, and he began to make me laugh. And then when I left there that day, my whole perspective had changed. Number one, because he barbecued. That's not just it. But my whole perspective had changed. And I began to see the light at the end of the tunnel because guess what? He was there to say, hey, you don't have to carry this by yourself. Listen, we need each other. Everyone look. Look at somebody in here and say, I need you. I need you. Dustin, I need you. So here's, here's the last thing I want to give you is this. This is a perfect example of joy. We've been talking about joy. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this. I this is a potent bit of scripture. Therefore, since we are surrounded by uh, so great a cloud of witnesses, okay, when, when you see therefore in the Bible, you stop and you say, what is it? Okay, and Hebrew 11 talks about the hall of faith. So there he, he comes back and he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set uh, before us, Hebrews 12, 2 says this, looking to who? The founder and the, per uh, and the perfecter of our faith. Who, what? For the, 
that was set before him, he did what? Despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Who for the joy, who for the cheerfulness, who uh, he endured the cross. Listen, he did it for you and I. He did it for you and I. He did it. For, he knew that you were going to be a scoundrel and that you needed some help. And he did it for you and he did it for me. Some have said, uh, and I don't know if this is true, but I've heard this said that some have said that the father that day gave him a glimpse of joy when he was on the cross. And the thief on the cross said, save me. I can't verify that or say that. I don't know if that's true. But listen, but I do know this. He endured that cross because you are his joy. He loves a relationship with you. And the joy of the Lord is what? My strength. I, I love that so much. Uh, Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And it was Jesus' strength on the cross. And it's my strength today. And I don't know about you. I choose joy. I choose joy. It's, it's something that, that, you know, you, you might have to get up and, and get your mindset right. But I choose joy. I choose joy. I choose to be merry in this life because you know why? Jesus Christ resides in me. And I know this, that the joy of the Lord is the medicine to help me through any situation. Merry heart does good like a medicine. Larry, will you help me out? Can you jump up there on the key? Oh, it's on. It's on. Um, I'd I, I, I throw him under the bus. He doesn't even know. Can we do this? Can we sing that turn your eyes on Jesus? I don't know what key I'm going to do it in. I'll just you just throw one in there and I'll 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 screech it out one way or the other. Will you stand with me? Maybe you're here and you you've been going through something and you say, "Man, I I'm just been struggling in my life. I feel like that life's trials are around me and situations have me burdened down and I just feel overwhelmed." Listen, I want to tell you tonight that you have a group of people here who will stand with you, who will pray with you, who will love on you. You have a God who has an infinite amount of joy to pour out over you and your life. They're having joy back there in Sunday school right now. I think it's karate night back there. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. Come on, can you bow your heads with me all across this building? God, I just pray, Lord, for renewed strength, for renewed joy, God, in lives. God, the enemy would come in, try to cause dis division and, and distraction. But, Lord, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Lord, I, I refuse to let the trials of this life distract me 
But I laser pinpoint my focus on you, Jesus. Because when I do that, Lord, the things of this earth, they just become so small. God, they become, they just melt away in your presence. God, I pray right now, Lord, that renewed joy would just fall in this place, in this moment, God. God, I thank you for this church, God, of believers who will stand in the gap for others, who will pray and who will lead and just say, hey, I, I'll pray with you. I, I, I'll lead with you and I'll, I'll hold you up in prayer and, and I'll cover you with grace. Can we sing that again? Turn your eyes on Jesus. Come on, if you know it. Some of you know it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full to his wonderful face. And the If you want the Lord to give you joy, just lift your hands in this house. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just pour out, God, a fresh, just a fresh outpouring of joy, God, in our lives. God, that the people of God would be the happiest people in the world. God, when this things of this world seem to be falling apart or our situations, God, that our hope is not in this world, but our hope is in you, Jesus. God, I pray, Lord, that renewed strength and renewed joy would come, God. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would begin to just stir things in our lives, God. We give you the praise, we give you the glory in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. I mean, how many are grateful for the joy of the Lord? The joy of the Lord is what?